Bloody Elbow presents the sixth round post-fight show, which gives you a rundown and full analysis of the bouts that took place on this weekend's UFC event. Hey everybody, welcome to the sixth round post-fight show with me, Zane Simon, and my co-host, as always, Eddie Mercado. We're coming to you guys just from the conclusion of UFC Vegas 65, UFC Fight Night, Zachuku versus Kutalaba. An absolutely snake bit card that uh, ended up still being all right for just pure entertainment's sake. No, no stakes at all. Uh, the main event getting canceled at the very last minute between Derek Lewis and Sergey Spivak, which is too bad. But at the same time, nobody was tuning into this fight for a Sergey Spivak fight. No, uh, it's really unfortunate. We got to hope that Derek Lewis is okay. I guess yeah. he came down with some sort of illness that they say was not COVID related and not uh, weight cutting related. Hmm. So hope he's hmm. okay. Hope probably food poisoning or something like that. Who knows? Yeah, who really knows? It must have been bad though for him to pull out. Yeah. So hopefully that gets uh, that isn't um, you know too much of a bad thing for lewis and he can get back yeah. sooner rather than later i guess they're going to try to rebook it which is fine sure um uh, but overall um yeah it, it was just like the whole card were prelims yeah uh, the fights were pretty competitive we got only four finishes on 11 bouts um but i i, I want to say that most of the fights were still engaging for me i don't know if it's because this was an earlier card but it just it, they held my attention all the way throughout. Like each fight had a little something for me. So. That helps. I, I had other stuff I had to do, so I missed like the middle section of that big decision block, uh, which yeah. really helped a lot for me. I feel like I I dipped in. You know, I watched the early prelims. I dipped in for the main card, and the main card was fun and fast. And I, you know, that that's great. So yeah. It was, I mean, solid, solid card, but nothing, yeah. uh, like you said, there's no relevancy. No, the, the only fight yeah. that had any actual real relevance, other than Maya Moroz, uh, which nobody cared about, um, the only fight that had any real relevance got canceled. So all the rest of it, right. you get a lot of, you know, people lost, people won, but you no know, no new contenders were made, no sudden uh legacies were established out there right and no um fight of the year candidates no knockout yeah. of the year candidates no round of the year candidates yeah but you know it is what it is yeah uh all right main event kennedy zachukwu against iwan kudalaba and um kudalaba really started strong he was out there hitting all the takedowns hitting the Hitting the double legs, hitting the trips, hitting the hip throw, hitting the body lock. Just seemed like he was really in control of things. But we've seen this now from Kudalaba in several fights in each of his last three losses now. Um, where he just, he starts out really in control, but he can't ever stop just throwing himself headlong at his opponent. And as long as they can hang with him, they tend to fi start finding all their own opportunities. 
Yeah, so the beginning of the end for Eon came in the uh, in the second round when he shot in for another takedown and got blasted yeah. in the face with a counter knee. That thing was so wicked. And so in the opening round, the fight starts, and Kudalaba, he starts landing these really hard punches right away, mm-hmm. and that is what set up his entry to the takedown, yeah. and he was able to get it, got, got on top, had some top control, uh, he was looking good in that opening round. Second round came, and instead of setting up that takedown with his hands, he just went right for it. And yeah. I, I think a big like, part of that was, too, that credit to the Chukwu for staying calm. And, like, he talked about a little afterward, like, his coaches prepped him on this idea, like, you're going to get taken down right away. You're going to have a bad first round of this fight. Be ready to bounce back. And he came out in the in the second round, and... The reason Kudalaba shot way outside like that and ran right into a knee is that Zuchuku came out and just started tagging him up with ones and twos. He started out on the front foot in round two, and he took the initiative over so that Kudalaba felt like he needed to change levels and shoot and change the fight up. And credit to Zuchuku, he was he was perfectly prepared. Yeah, that was fantastic. And then he followed up with... Um some more just up knees coming mm-hmm. right up the middle and kept catching Kudalaba on the face. Yep. <laughs> that is just slick. Man, having being that tall and fighting that way is such an asset. When you yeah. can just barely lift your leg and your knee is already at your opponent's chin, like that's a that's a big fat advantage there. And it is. You know, I he made the most of it. Booth talked about it, and I didn't really credit it much, but then I went back and actually looked at his wiki and all that. And Kudalaba really is kind of tiny for a light heavyweight. He's yeah. six foot one with a 75-inch reach, and we we do the UFC does have welterweights that size. I mean, yeah, I know he's got a lot more muscle on him than any of them do, but there are plenty of dudes at middleweight who are fighting with his frame. And it just may be that he's running into a reality that the light heavyweight division only more and more over the last half decade has become, I mean, over the last decade, but especially this last half decade, is just becoming populated pretty much entirely by dudes who, they're heavyweights who want to cut weight, you know? If the heavyweight division is full of dudes who like to, to go out and, eating the buffet line and, you know, drink a beer when they're, while they're doing their cardio and all that stuff, like Derek Lewis out there, like Kennedy Zuchukwu, he's not, he does not have a smaller frame than Waldo Cortez Acosta, you know, he's just out there willing to do the the road work to cut weight. That, that division is full of gigantic dudes at this point. Yeah, and I mean another thing is like what's Kudalaba's um like what's his overall advantage in fights, would you say? I mean, he's more and more over the past few years, he's tried to make himself a dedicate a more dedicated wrestler, but he's not a nuanced wrestler. He's not a guy who like Oh, once once Kudalaba starts getting you down, he is just going to control you the whole time. It worked okay for him for a round here, but he just he throws himself at people with so much abandon that like once they start timing him, they just know that he's gonna be right there in front of him. 
So, yeah, no, that is absolutely correct. Um, but like his his um, what got him to the dance and has kept him here has been his aggression. Yep. And I I think that can only that only carries you so far, right? Yeah. And that's why he has these successful first rounds is because he can come out and just try to bulldoze whoever's standing in front of him. And if he can't do that, then it, it seems like he doesn't have a deep enough tool shed to lean into to take over a fight with something other than just chaos and aggression. Yeah, I mean, it, it's one of those things where he showed up on the scene as like a really pretty decently split wrestle boxer where he, you know, he had some good punches, he had some good takedowns. And over time, he's leaned more and more on the takedowns. But that's, you know, it's that's also kind of a problem because it's just like, well, you need something to set those up. You're not such an incredible wrestler that you can just take people down and keep them there. You're also small. And, and being a small wrestler is never, you never want to be a small wrestler. It's, it's always going to be hard to hold guys down if you're smaller than them. Right. And, and like with him being small, it's not even it's this isn't a case of where, oh, well, he just needs to cut to middleweight and he'll be fine. Yeah. He'll be able to be more imposing. Like, no, nah. it's just it's his uh, just M.O. when he fights his modus yeah. operandi is just chaos. He stays aggressive. And if you stay aggressive on top of people, too, they're going to get up, you know. Right. Uh, he had mount on Zuchukwu and Zuchukwu just shoved one leg leg back, got the half guard, shoved the other leg back, got the full guard, and stood up, you know, because uh, Kutalaba wanted, when he's on top, he's trying to posture up, he's trying to land stuff, he doesn't want to just sit there and hug you and hold you. Um, so yeah, he's got he's to find something in his boxing game. He's got to find a striking game, and it's got to be one that he can lean on for more than just getting takedowns and i don't know well hopefully he won't have to find his striking in power slap yeah yeah no i wonder if we'll see any ufc or x x mma fighters uh yeah absolutely uh, oh yeah power slap i think especially with the dana white and company running that promotion that will be a instant uh, catch pot for exciting dudes that the UFC cut because they weren't really competitive in MMA anymore. Like, do you think the UFC would have lost Mike Perry if they had power slap for him to drop back? <laughs> right, exactly. And Kudalaba might be that kind of dude too. Like, it, it seems like exactly the kind of place that they're going to try to funnel that talent if they can over time, um, you know, and, and a lot of fighters, maybe they'll want to go to boxing and they'll want to do other things, but you just have to catch a few for that to, to work. So. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to be surprised if we see Dominic Reyes out there. <laughs> I hope not. Oh man. I hope not. But I, I, nobody will surprise me. Nobody will surprise me. It's. I'll tell you what though. Nate Diaz missed out. That's a missed opportunity. That he should have came up with the slap league thing. Yeah, the no kidding. Stop and slap fest or whatever. Yeah, yeah. He's definitely missed out on a branding opportunity there. Still don't I don't think he would want to be jumping right back into another 
uh, UFC Zufa Endeavor style contract with another league, but running one, yeah. Although you know, then again, the Nick Diaz really uh, war MMA didn't really. That was not a money making opportunity for the Diaz brothers. Although I think they've said that they're starting another promotion, so who knows on that front. Anyway, we're far afield because these fights were not that meaningful. Uh, Let's jump over heavyweight bout. Waldo Cortez Acosta, Chase Sherman, and um, I feel for Chase Sherman because this is so clearly a fight he did not need to lose. But um, a credit to Cortez Acosta for being tough and having good, having the kind of cardio to keep his pace going, even even flag, even gassed in the third round, to just keep a constant stream of offense out there. But like Sherman was on those like he, two judges, I gave him the first round, even getting outstruck off of his low kicking, and the takedown. You know, when he got Cortez Costa down, it was just very clear that Cortez Costa had no plan off of his back. No, was just flat, not shrimping, no idea where to go. But Sherman can't help but fight people in exactly whatever fight they want to have. Right. He can't, he cannot command a fight. No. And it's unfortunate because he had several avenues to win. Like you said, he could have won on the ground. He could have stuck to his leg kick attack that he abandoned in the second round. Yep. Um, you know, and clearly, uh, at least in my opinion, Sherman had way more gas down the stretch. He just yeah. wasn't able to put things together. And it's not like a Acosta is is that is technically better. I don't think he's no. technically better than Shea Sherman at all anywhere. Um, but he is just a dog, and he's just willing to go after a win. He found a way to get it down. I mean, the punches that Acosta was throwing, like second round, third round, they looked like Ronda Rousey punches. Yeah. But they were landing, and they were, you know, effective. But damn, they were ugly. <laughs> Holy smokes, those are some ugly punches. Mm-hmm. But hey, a win's a win, and he's yeah. still raw. He's got an athletic background, which is great. He was a minor league baseball player. Yep. So, you know, he's got that right hand. Um, like, I didn't see anything out of him. The Takanori Gomi thing. Yeah, yeah. But, like, I didn't see anything out of him where I'm just like, oh, man, this is the next heavyweight prospect to keep an eye on. Yeah, he's got size, he's got power, and he's got speed. Those are good things in that division. He's got, and he's durable. Like, he's tough enough and he hits hard enough to be an interesting fighter in that division to hang around. Like, this is, I think, you know, somewhat of a litmus test of like, are you going to win fights at heavyweight in the UFC? Yeah, probably. He'll probably win a few. You know, he'll he'll stay around in the division for a while. Chase Sherman is sort of a baseline bottom bottom rung. Are you can't are you tall enough to ride at all? Right. Chase Sherman is the gatekeeper to the UFC. Exactly. 
you beat them, you're in. You can't beat them, you probably yeah. aren't ready yet. I, so, I could see Co- Waldo Cortez Acosta winning two out of five or five fights he takes in the UFC or three out of five, you know? Or and, it might be one of those situations where wherever he takes a um, a noticeable step up in competition, yeah. he suffers a setback. Yeah, exactly. Um, he's, he's got the, he's got the toughness and he's got the power to be, to hang around. And, uh, I mean, if, if, if I'm his coaches, honestly, I'm looking at this as like a pure positives, glowing reviews for him, you know, where it's just like, you got kicked in the leg a bunch. You had somebody stick in front of you that would not go away and you stayed tough and you hung out in there and you kept throwing. And that's what we want you to do. We will sharpen your technique as time goes on, but stay with that kind of aggression and that kind of focus. And not wilting down the stretch yeah. is a really good sign. Being able to dig deep and fight through fatigue yeah. and stay offensive is is really hard to do, number one. But uh, I, I think it's even harder to do at heavyweight. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And for Sherman, it just sucks because there's – you know, this has been a problem for him in the past, and he was in a really good place after his last win and talking about how he's mentally never been better and all that. But you could see in the second round when Cortez Acosta came out just firing heat at him, those demons were right back there with Chase Sherman. Like, he just stopped throwing. He went away from the low kicks. He stopped stepping in and trading. He stopped trying to find his own shots because he was getting plugged and he didn't have an answer for it. And the only answer he had to pressure just kept getting him hit more. And it's tough. I feel, you know, like I said, I feel for the guy cause he's been going through, he's gone through it in several stages of his career now. And you don't want to see people keep running into the same walls. No, but I mean, it's just, I guess it's expected at it from him from for, as far as I'm concerned. Like this yeah. is, this is classic Chase Sherman. I mean, I, I didn't pick him in this fight and that's why it no. just, I, I, I can, I still feel bad even if I'm, you know, he, being right doesn't make me feel good. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. This will probably, this might very easily be his ticket back out of UFC. Who knows? Because he's he's someone who's always willing to step in on short notice and fight anybody. Yeah, UFC uh, rewards that kind of behavior. They do, they do. He's been in he's in a sort of Sam Alvey place where he's lost. He's had the opportunity to lose five of his last six fights to go two and five in his current UFC run. They're letting him keep taking those fights and keep stepping up. And he did win his last fight before this too. So yeah. Also, at some point, too, you you know, coaches might have to come in and be like, you know, you don't seem like you really like this that much when you're in the thick of it. Have you considered other things? (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, the, the life of a journeyman fighter is not an easy one. No, no, it is not. Still, for Waldo Cortez Acosta, he's taken, you know, he's 2-0 and in the UFC, and uh, as a heavyweight, that's a heck of a good start to get off to. So I expect he'll be around for a while, being competitive in the bottom half of the division, you know? Maybe be in, uh, he could stick around in sort of like a, 
that in kind of like Walt Harris territory for a while, you know. Which is not a bad place to be. No. Like, win enough fights and get a reputation for being exciting that people don't mind when you lose every time you take a, take a step up towards the top ten. And he's pretty green still. He is, yeah. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't have a tremendous amount of experience. Um, his first MMA fight, pro fight was in 2018. Yeah. So. He's, he, and he's fought a lot since taking that first pro fight just four years ago, which is also really good. It means that he's going out and he's getting a lot of reps and he's not afraid to, you know, there's no like, does, there's no trying, he's not trying to protect anything very clearly, which is good to see. There's a lot of confidence and willingness to just step out there and keep fighting. And 30, even at 31, like that's still pretty young for a heavyweight. So there's a lot that, you know, like I say, if you're coach, if you're his coaches, you got to be pretty happy with this. Yeah, for sure. Especially a veteran like uh, Sh- like Chase Sherman, who, yeah. you know, is notorious for rallying late in fights and, and applying pressure. Yep. So to prevent him from doing that is, says a lot. Yep. All right. That brings us to a welterweight bout. Muslim Salikov, Andre Fialho, and... Um, yeah. The King of Kung Fu. King of the Kung King of Fu, Kung Fu. He's he, he definitely he kung fu'd the hell out of Fialho in that third round. That was that was some pure kung fu magic out there. Started out as a pretty sticky fight back and forth, but um, Fialho just he, he, guys who can be creative and fire from distance. He just doesn't have an answer for that. His his best work is all done in the pocket, and if you don't let him in the pocket. He just keeps walking in and trying to reestablish it over and over without a lot of offense to offer in the in-between. And the, the longer this fight went up, went on, the more Fialho just started finding more and more creative ways to, or Salikov find, started finding more and more creative ways to hurt him. Yeah, and it's really just his variety. Yeah. Having those kind of spinning attacks, it, it just did him such a service here, whether it was the, the spinning back fist that connected mm-hmm the spinning back kick to the body that hurt Fialho or the freaking the spinning back wheel kick to the face that ended the fight. Yep. Like having those in your back pocket uh, against someone as just kind of rote as Fialho is with his striking, you know, real one dimensional. He'll throw some mm-hmm. kicks out there sometimes. Yes. But typically you're, you're getting a boxer. Yeah. And how do you how do you beat a boxer? You kick the shit out of him. Yep. It's a great performance from Salikov. After the fight, he said that he's been he moved over to ATT recently, and he feels like he's like in the best, you know, getting the best training in the best shape of his career, all that kind of stuff. I, you know what, the man's thirty eight. Just like throw him as high up the division as you can reasonably find for him. Like any anybody on any kind of win streak with lots of experience, just throw him in against him. I'm thinking like maybe a fight with Randy Brown or mm. there's always uh Michelle Pereira or oh, that would be such a weird fight. Yeah. It'd be super fun. Or even uh D rod, Daniel Rodriguez, you know? Uh, sure. 
even though he's coming off of a loss. Yeah, even uh, even still, just like get him in these fights at the edges of the top fifteen and see where he shakes out. Yeah, I'm here for it. Yeah, he's fun, man. He's so much he fun. Is. He's always fun, even even in that loss to Li Jingliang. Like he's a fun fighter. Put him in fun fights. All right, uh, that brings us to a welterweight bout: Jack Della Maddalena, Danny Roberts, and as expected, this was, this was my main event. Yeah, yeah, and and probably the most expected outcome. Yeah, uh, a, a first round shit kicking for De, for uh, Della Maddalena seemed really right there on the table for him. Yeah, Robert's notoriously hittable, notoriously hurtable, uh, and someone who was going to give Matt Della Maddalena the fight he wanted. Yeah, it just doesn't respond well to pressure. Doesn't like to exchange in the pocket. Doesn't get you know loses track of his defense in pocket exchanges. And then when he's on the back foot, he really loses track of his foot of his of his footwork and his positioning. And Maddalena just. It was right there for Madeline to just storm his castle, and he did, you know? Oh, yeah, man. I love the boxing of Della yeah. Madeline. It is so crisp and fluid, and it really reminds me of the way Conor McGregor throws his punches, mm. or used to throw his punches, I guess I should say. Yeah, yeah. But it, it is so beautiful to watch. I'm in love with the way he fights. Definitely. It is so clean. He said after the fight, like, it's, his fighting is all about his eyes and his vision. Mm-hmm. And it's something you can really see. Like, he, he starts really fast and is really precise when he starts, much like McGregor, where, like, he's clearly very cued in from the beginning as to what his range is and getting his shots in and slipping, too. Like, Roberts threw a lot of stuff at him that did not land. And that's obviously from Madalena's face, that's hard won knowledge for him. Like yeah. he has, he, I, you know, I, I like the, the style he's built for himself. It seems like the kind of style that more experience is only going to make it better. You know? Yeah. We've yet to see him tested really. Um, man. Yeah. He went everybody through that war. With, to, everybody uh, wants to know about his ground game now. Yeah, he went through a, that war with um, what's his name, Angelusa, on Contender Series. Like that was just a brutal back and forth fight. But yeah, I mean, Lusa's not an expert grappler himself, so when he did get takedowns, he didn't make that much out of them. Honestly, with him wanting to fight in Perth, I gotta assume the UFC is gonna try to get him a fight in Perth. Uh, coming off of this, he absolutely deserves it. And he says he's willing to fight anybody. So I just Jeremiah Wells is sitting there at three and zero in the welterweight division. Won't be a ground game test so much for Madalena, but Wells versus Madalena would be absolute an absolute war. So I want to see that fight. Yeah, Jack is must see TV now. It doesn't yeah. matter who it is. Uh, I'm just I'm just blown away by how how. Uh, just how fluid he is out there with his hands. Mm-hmm. It, it really is impressive. Um, I wish he was, he had a little more to say on the microphone though. He had such a limp post fight interview. And honestly, everybody did on this, on this, uh, 
card. I don't feel like yeah. anyone really uh, came out on the microphone. And uh, I, I missed Ricky Tercios' post-fight speech. I saw people blowing it up a little afterwards. Eh. But it was like inspirational, but yeah. like I wasn't trying to hear that shit. <laughs> <laughs> You're not here. We're not here to be inspired. I don't need a life coach. No. We don't uh, want to hear that shit, Sharif. <laughs> all right. That brings us uh, to flyweight bout Charles Johnson, Jalgas Jumagulov. Uh, a little surprised by the decision, not terribly surprised. Round two was very close. I scored rounds one and two for Zhumagulov, but even scoring it live, I was like, Johnson had a lot of really good shots in that round, and he had some that kind of felt like they maybe defined the narrative of the round. I thought Zhumagulov landed more, and I thought he got more... She, I didn't think anything that Johnson did was so big that it would necessarily steer the round for him, but I'm not shocked that it did for two out of three judges. I'm a little shocked. Yeah. He clearly got outstruck and he got hurt in that third round. So, it, yeah, but I most mean, people thought he won the third. It's tough, though. I mean, it's subjective. Like, when you hurt your opponent so bad to the point where they have to stomp out their leg yeah, multiple yeah. times to it's bring true. that I mean, fear. That is the most damaging thing in that third round. Zhumagulov couldn't, couldn't capitalize on that damage, but it it was the most damaging thing in the round. Yeah, I thought Zhumagulov won. I thought he did enough. I feel bad for him because he seems to keep getting himself in these situations where he's he's – uh, on just the wrong side of a judge's decision. Yeah. And especially in this fight, since it was so sticky and there were so many uh, fouls, like tons yeah. of nut shots. And, Almost um, all of them from Johnson's Johnson's side. I mean, I know that the, the booth was like, yeah, they've each traded one because uh, Zhumagulov got a uh, groin kick in himself, but it was an eye poke and two groin kicks from Johnson and well, an it was act- two. It was an eye poke, and it was the palm strike to the eye. Yeah, the palm to the eye, which I know they said is not it's The legality of that is probably questionable because— No way. It's 100% legal. Is it? I mean, it, let me yeah. say, could it be considered, A, you're not really supposed to strike somebody with an open hand in general. Why? Why? Because uh, of eye pokes and all that, it's it's frowned upon by by the hundred uh, percent not illegal by the refs. And then it could be considered, you know, you could argue that it's a, a form of it's like raking to like put your hand on somebody's face like that. But I wouldn't argue it too heavily. Anyway, I I think. Um... I think he got away with one, getting a timeout for it. I don't think there should have been a timeout, but he didn't get a timeout when he was actually poked in the eye. Yeah, so it all evened out. So you got you got an eye poke and two groin strikes from the Charles Johnson side, and then a, a non-eye poke as well. And then you got yeah. groin kick from the Shumagulov side. So the, I'm just saying the balance doesn't really tally in evening it out. It was a, it was a, It was a rough and wild fight from Johnson. More than it. No, both both of them are going to be hurting tomorrow. Yeah, I know that. Yeah, it's a rough fight for both. Yeah. 
Um, but yeah, unfortunate for Zhumagulov. He just does not seem to be able to put together uh, offense that looks great for judges. And uh, he, unfortunately for him too, like he has been figuring out to be a busier fighter in the UFC. But it seems like that also taxed him. And being a flyweight that flags and that like loses steam is going to be rough because most of your competition won't. Yeah, he doesn't really fl- fight like a flyweight, a traditional no. flyweight. That's for sure. Doesn't. He came up on, you know, it, it, this sort of like the trouble of being, getting to a championship level in a high-level regional organization is that it kind of teaches you to fight like a champion, which seems like a good thing, but, you you know, it's like the Will Brooks conundrum of becoming a championship style fighter in Bellator and then moving to the UFC. And suddenly it's like, Oh, you got to win in three rounds. Like you can't be taking a round off and like conserving your energy and picking your spots and being really, you know, solid defensively and making, you know, being mindful in that kind of way, you've got to go out there and you've got to push a pace and you've got to make sure you win every round. And uh, it's been a struggle for Zhumagulov. Yeah, he lost five of his last six. Yeah, and that's tough. A lot of them feel like close, arguable fights. You know, I love Halim Paiva, but that was a really close fight. Even the Jeff Molina fight. Yeah, super um, close. All right, uh, that brings us to a woman's flyweight bout: Jennifer Maya, Marina Moroz, and. Uh, I really thought Moroz's boxing would count for more in this fight, but it doesn't seem like it did. No, so within the first 30 seconds of this match, you knew what was going to happen and how this fight was going to play out. So, like you're saying with Moroz, pretty boxing, right? So she comes out, jab, cross, left hook. Jab, cross, left hook. I mean, it looks pretty. If it were on pads, I'd be like, damn, that's some pad porn right there. Like That's pretty technique. I like it. Well played. However, the practical application of that just wasn't there. Maya's footwork was too good. And the fact that Maya was the one willing to cut angles Mm. is really what did her the biggest service here. Morose was so linear with her attacks. It was almost as if her pad holder never moved around during their sessions. That's too bad because, you know, she's too like she was a former national team boxer as well. So. Yeah, no, the technique is there. She yeah. just wasn't able to apply it uh, to a moving target. And yeah. Maya just capitalized on it and kept countering with looping her punches. And Morose just kept throwing the same three-piece over and over. And it just it wasn't enough. Eh, too bad. Really, honestly, it was a good shot for Mor- a good chance for Morose to go on a run and like get herself into the conversation. But uh, Maya shutting the door on her gets her right back in the mix in the top in that churn of the top ten in women's flyweight. Yeah, um, solid showing. She was busy. She was active. Um, she held on at the end as Morose was trying to rally, and yeah, got herself a, a much needed win back in the win column. Keeps her position. Yeah. Um, yeah. Solid, Maybe solid performance. Fights with like a Vivia Raujo or even uh, could fight with Alexa Grasso now that like. Oof. 
Grasso's not going to be getting a title shot, it doesn't feel like. So, got to do something to do to be busy. That would be huge for Maya, getting that kind of opportunity. But, yeah, why not? Yeah, I mean, she's a former title contender. And, you know, the people she's lost to in that division are just uh, Manon Firo, Caitlin Chukagian, and Valentina Shevchenko. And yeah. Liz Carmouche way back in the day, but... I mean, yeah. I would love to watch her slug it out with Grasso for three rounds. Sure. That'd be fantastic. Yeah. All right. That brings us to another bantamweight or to a, a, a bantamweight bout: Miles Johns, Vince Morales, and um, I, the only things I remember I read about this were that it was incredibly boring. Yeah, um, a lot of feeling out, a lot of fainting, a lot of measuring in the opening round, very few strikes at all, no takedowns. Um, They really didn't start opening up until like the final 10 seconds, and they met in the pocket. They did some exchanging. They both landed. But other than that, that first round, total dud. Mm. Um, And really, the whole whole fight was kind of like that. There was just way too much respect on both sides. And just neither man was really willing to open up. Johns was the one who was, um, you know, mixing in his takedown attempts. He was the one pressuring Ford, really loading up on his right hand, just really trying to wing things. But mm-hmm. just not coming out of a shell, and Morales wasn't either. Um, just not yeah. a very fun offensive kind of fight. That's been a problem for Morales for a while. He's so focused on his boxing, and it's so easy to take him out of his comfort zone where he doesn't feel like he can punch. Uh, it's just too bad to see Johns not press that and force that off. See, you know, to not force that on Morales through offensive production. You know, to just yeah. kind of let it all be in threat, imagined threats rather than really finding the target with some of his right hands or hitting some takedowns and taken over the fight in a meaningful way. I mean, credit to Morales for defending as many takedowns as he did. Yeah. He was stuffing a lot of them, most of them. John's got one of 12. Yeah, but like, it's great that he was defending them, but he was doing just that. He was defending. When you're defending, you're not offending. So. Yeah, Morales also landed 39 of 131 strikes. So 29%. (laughs) Yeah, that's not very good. That is not, not a great good. fight. No, nope. not a great fight for Johns either. But no. wins a win. I know All he's right. got a lot going on, changing camps and whatnot, relocating his family. So that brings us to Ricky Tercios against Kevin Natividad, and uh, this Dude, like... this was. So much fun. This is so much fun. We got all the scrambles. Nice. I mean, all we got drama. We had knockdowns. It was actually Nativi Dad coming up with the big punches. Mm -hmm. He dropped. He dropped Tercios. um, I want to say he dropped him in the first round, and then uh, is credited with the knockdown in the third. But oh no, he rocked him in the second off the break. That was pretty sweet and made a mini stanky leg happened for Tercios, but Tercios recovers so freaking fast and he's, he gets hurt, boom, instantly recovers. And then he's, he's on a leg. He's on a single, he's, he's initiating the scrambles where he thrives. Um, and yeah, he, he ate a big knee there in the, uh, in the third round, but, and it looked like he was about to lose the fight, but he just bit down and found a way to initiate these scrambles, got on the back, threatened with a rear naked choke, dude, he hit a freaking no gi kiss of the dragon 
<laughs> to take the bag. Like, what? You're doing that in the UFC? Tercio has such – he doesn't have any takedown defense. Yeah. Damn, his, his ability to scramble and just make things happen and just turn shit into sugar on the ground is really impressive. I'm, I'm glad to see it as a return to form from him because that fight he had with Ayman Zahabi was miserably bad. Like, Tercio has always been at his best when he can be an agent of chaos who's making mm-hmm. stuff happen, taking his licks – but landing his own shots, getting into scrambles, getting taken down, letting the fight happen however it needs to, and finding a way through it. And in that Zahabi fight, he his coaches were in his ear to like stay conservative, don't go nuts, be cautious, be careful out there. You could hear him even talking to him and being like, yes, coach, I hear you, I'll do that. And he landed 20% of his strikes and had the most miserable fight possible. So see him back here, like landing at 60%, creating chaos, winning rounds, even if he's getting hurt, like it's, it's a much better, there's a much more like, you know, better likelihood that he's going to come out with wins and fights like that. So. Oh yeah, man. He was, he was literally 90 seconds away from losing mm-hmm. and he just made that last stand and just, made something happen out of nothing coming off of being rocked i really impressive to see someone you know overcome that kind of adversity and still get a decision win do enough to win the round after being rocked like that love to see it really really a strong and impressive performance for that we had vanessa demopolis maria Oliveira, and um yeah, this one I did catch, which made me sad because I caught Maria Oliveira doing all the things I wanted her to do, which is fire lots of volume at range and pretty clearly and easily outstrike Demopolis for large stretches. And then A, get taken down and held there, and B, just get absolutely rocked in round two by a monster overhand. Felt like... The o- one of the only strikes that Demopolis really connected on in that round just flattened her and uh, took the fight away. It's great to see someone you know that willing to throw that sort of power into a right hand. I mean, mm-hmm. it could be a great equalizer when you when you're not that polished on the feet against yeah. someone who is. I mean, when you threaten the takedown and splice that with the overhand right. That's a lot of input to deal with. It's like mm-hmm. one of the two is coming at me, and they both look identical the way they're set up. It's just a, it's a, I like, I like the way Demopolis fights. Yeah, like she well, she finds a way. She's she's a tryhard. She's definitely like starting to make better use of her athleticism than she used to. Because in the past, when she would get on top of somebody, she'd pretty much jump for a submission immediately and lose position. She racked up a lot more control time in this fight, was a lot better about when she got top position staying there. And, oh, yeah. uh, you know, she's she's being a little more selective with her big shots when she throws them. And, you know, even if uh, Maria Oliver outstruck her standing, Demopolis had a pretty efficient night, all things considered. When she When she let something go, she made it count. I don't even recall a single submission attempt from Demopolis. Yeah. She was focused on just locking down top control, trying to pass the guard, and then 
at the end of the first and second rounds, she found herself in full mount, dropping some mean bows just before the bell. And I think that's that's important and it's smart. And if Tercios um, just focused on submissions uh, in his fight, he probably wouldn't have pulled out the decision. But it was his willingness to to do damage when he had the position that I think is what uh, swayed the judges. And same with Demopolis. She's like, screw these submissions. I'm just going to do work with my elbows and get the points and negate whatever my opponent did on the feet. Mm -hmm. Completely just overshadowed by the closing moments of the round with me just smashing their face with my elbow. Good win for her. Rough outing for Maria Oliveira, but she's going to going to have to work on her takedown defense if you, i mean you know the power too like it's hard to be a volume striker who can't stop people from taking you down you yeah. know so all right that brings us to a another men's bantamweight bout brady high stand fernie garcia and um pretty ugly wild back and forth fight with high stand just kind of grinding it out with uh with the takedowns, hitting him when he really had to. Yet, uh, started getting chewed up in the second round and was able to turn. I thought he looked pretty gassed going into round three, but he just chased that takedown and turned it into turned it into a winning fight. Yeah, it was um well first of all, he got dropped in the very first exchange of the match. Like yeah. big old punch just boom, cleans his clock. But again, he instantly recovered and instantly started to wrestle. And uh I man, there's something in him, man. His I don't know if it's his technique, his tenacity or what, but he gets in these positions where it looks like the takedown attempt is dead. Mm-hmm. Like he drops down to his knees. Uh, he, he's almost um, – he's like in a turtle position, but just mm-hmm. somehow like picks an ankle and just maneuvers himself perfectly to find the top position. And, man, that is some beautiful scrambling. Yep. He needs a lot of help on his feet. Oh, yeah. Uh, his, his most effective strike was just a naked head kick. Um, yeah. It was landing but not with any kind of power, but – this is someone who who it's like a chase hooper kind of thing Um, yeah not as bad but if he can't grapple with someone he's in big trouble yeah and i mean he's coming out of sick jitsu so i'm not all that confident about how much his game is going to change over time you know like you look at a lot of the other sick jitsu talent that has come to the ufc even if they're good, fun, like very dogged fighters, that that camp absolutely produces dudes who will go out there and scrap. Like Michael Chiesa's game isn't much different than it was when he came off tough. Juliana Pena's game isn't much different than when she came off tough, you know? Right. They just kind of refine what they're already good at. Yeah. Which is so. submission grappling. Yep. So I, I expect High Stand will stick around and be a dog in the Bantamweight division, but I don't know that we're going to see him suddenly find his boxing game, you know? I know you hate doing this, yeah. but I, I want to see him fight Ricky Tercios. 
Yeah, you, well, they just fought, though. Did they? Yeah, that was the tough finale, and Tercios beat him. Oh, that's why Tercios is tough champ. They fought, but it was a year ago. Because no, wasn't they, that long ago. They went on hiatus. I mean, was it great? Yeah, it was fun. Crazy scraps, cra- yeah. crazy scrambles. I need to go back and watch that. Yeah, because worth worth the revisit. Yeah, they they was August twenty eighth, twenty twenty one. So it was more than a year ago. They fought on tough. Off, off the, in the tough finale. Okay. Yeah, it, w- it was fun. I mean, the big thing really was just high stand slowed down in round three, and Tercios didn't. Mm-hmm. You know, very scramble filled, very back and forth. Yeah, exactly. I'm bummed I missed that. that. Yeah. Uh, that brings us to a woman's flyweight bout. Natalia Silva, Teresa Bleda, opening up the card. And I need to... I had my doubts. I had small doubts about Natalia Silva. Small doubts. Because I thought, you know, uh, Jasmine Jasutavicius, not the best athlete in the world. Sure, you tuned her up on the feet, but maybe it's just like the style clash here. You're the, the faster athlete. Jasuda Vicious couldn't handle that. That looked more like the kind of fight I thought Kay Hansen could have had with Jasuda Vicious and, and didn't. Um, and But Teresa Bleda is huge and has a really good shot. Seemed like a strong athlete. I really thought that she could maybe really control this fight well. And Natalia Silva just ran her over. She stuffed every takedown. She broke every attempt to clinch her, to slow her down. And she did it with power. And she looked consistent. She kept her mind or her focus on where she was in the cage. She didn't get locked down. She didn't get trapped. It's just, you know, I went back before this and I watched her fight with Marina Rodriguez that she lost. And Rodriguez was just able to back her to the cage real in- easily and get takedowns even. And, I, and you know, so it's kind of like, okay, well, if strawweight Marina Rodriguez can kind of push you around, is that going to be, are, are, you know, are, are, is somebody, are other good athletes going to have that same chance? And it just seems like she's just, she's improved a ton. She did almost get submitted, though, in that first round. <laughs> Let's not forget. <laughs> yeah, no, Blada had a had a good opening round. Uh, she has really long arms, and she's able to lock them together, and that is is tough to deal with. But uh, Silva actually ended up on the bottom in the first round because she uh, she botched the takedown herself, mm. and Blada landed on top of her. But Silva hit a nasty sweep to get on top, but landed right in a triangle, but defended perfectly, made all the right, uh, all the right moves, kept her arm safe from the arm bar. And uh, I think she actually uh, ended the round inside of the triangle. Yeah. But as the fight went on, you could just see the cardio leaving Blada. And as the cardio left, her striking defense went with it. Mm-hmm. And then she, she was just a sitting duck out there, 
just yeah. too gassed to properly defend against someone who's uh, who's striking is is powerful. It's heavy. And then we get the spinning back kick to the face just as Blade is changing levels, a la um, Uriah Hall, Gegard Mousasi. Yeah, yeah. Just like it. I mean, it was it's really sweet. That kind of timing, it's like accidental timing. Like when uh, Marlon Marais knocked out Al Jermaine Sterling. Yep. Like just car crashes that wasn't intentional but ended up that way. I mean – yeah, I guess like it's a, it's kind of a thing like where was that head kick or where was that spinning back kick going if it wasn't if she didn't duck into it though even like you know I think it was going to the body. Yeah, it just seemed like it was almost even below like belt level. It was I mean it, it was a perfectly thrown technique from Natalia Silva, but I know what you mean. It is like one of those very very perfect coincidental clash sort of things yeah and i love those yeah they're so much fun it's it's uh, they're happy accidents as bob ross would say great great work from natalia silva though i love what what she's showing up there honestly like mm-hmm. really impressive athlete really keeping her head about her and what, uh, really, what i really liked out of this performance aside from the the just elite epic finish was was how well she did in the grappling yeah she didn't look um she didn't ever look confused she never looked like she didn't know what she was doing she had answers in every single position yeah and i i don't know too like if the uh, numbers were off for one of these two women because like bleda is listed at five nine and silva at five four they did not look that different in size in the cage. And more than that, uh, more and more than her debut, Silva looked really strong. She looked really like in shape, strong in the core, really com- like confidently able to deal with this big grappler. Out yeah. There. Explosive so, and her, yeah. her athleticism matched her technique. Great yet. fight for her. Bicep. Great uh, second fight in the UFC. I'm really excited to see what she can do at flyweight because, you know, that division needs more challengers on the rise. All right. I think on that note, we're going to wrap it up. You can find me on Twitter at These Ain't Simon. You can find Eddie on Twitter at The Eddie Mercado. You can find both of us over at BloodyElbow.com. Give us a like, subscribe to our podcasts over on the Bloody Elbow Presents SoundCloud uh, Podcast Network on SoundCloud, YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, all those places. And we'll be back in two weeks' time for UFC Orlando, Thompson versus Holland. Adios, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to this Bloody Elbow Presents production. To check out more of our content, subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is titled Bloody Elbow Presents. We're also on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, Player FM, and Amazon Music. Just search for Bloody Elbow Presents and you'll get brand new shows throughout the week, including Care Don't Care, the Level Change Podcast, the MMA Bivis Section, the 6th Round Post-Fight Show, 6th Round Retro, the MMA Depressed Us, Crooklyn's Corner, Exclusive Fighter Interviews, Show Money, Guest Podcasts, the Hey Not The Face podcast, 
and radio-style play-by-play for every UFC pay-per-view. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at Facebook.com slash Bloody Elbow Blog, and as always, on BloodyElbow.com.